Wonderful. Can I have uh, Clive Scott come and share tonight? And as he comes, I, I just want to say, we're blessed to have Sue and Clive join us as a church. And uh, the, the generous heart that they both carry, uh, sensitive to the Holy Spirit and just uh, what we can glean from them. So I'm really excited to uh, say that Clive's sharing tonight. He's in Mike's life group. Mike spoke a great word last week. Mike, um, would you pray? Because uh, Clive's in your life group. It'd be great for you to... Father, I thank you for, for Clive, Lord God. I thank you for the, the inspiration and the, and, the, and the great friend that he is to me, Lord God, personally. And uh, I just pray that as he speaks tonight, Lord God, that he would speak um, with clarity and boldness and, and from your heart tonight, Lord God. And I just pray for, for us as a church listening, Father God, that we'd be open and receptive to hear what it is that, that Clive's got to share with us this evening. So, And would you just bless Clive as he gives out tonight, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you. It's great to be here tonight. When I asked what I should talk about tonight, uh, Janet said, well, what's ever, whatever's on your heart. I'm used to being given a, a, a passage or a title, so, so three things came to mind. Don't worry, I'm only going to talk about one of them. <laughs> uh, my prayer tonight is that when you go away, you don't go away thinking, if only you'd chosen the other one. <laughs> but, uh, but I've got a great get-out. Someone said to me this morning, um, you must be Pastor Adrian's brother. I know, and he didn't actually look, but the look in his eyes said, Older brother. I know that hurts. That hurt. So if you don't like what you hear tonight, remember it was Pastor Adrian's brother that was speaking. <laughs> okay, we're going to be uh, reading through uh, John's Gospel, chapter 21, verses 1 to 19. Just before we do, I'm just going to pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence tonight. Thank you, Father, that we meet in your name and your presence is with us. And I pray, Father, that tonight through the, through the music, through the worship, through the talking, through the time we spend with each other at the end, Father, your name will be glorified and your will be, will be done. Have your way amongst us tonight, we pray. Amen. Okay, so as you can see up there, John 21, verse 1 to 19, it's the, it's the one where Jesus cooks breakfast, which is not quite why it's my favorite verse, but it's getting up there. I'll just uh, read the passage if you want to find it in your Bibles. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. He called to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw out your nets on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, but they weren't far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals and there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon and Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them. 
And they did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, he said to him, Simon, son of Peter, son of John, sorry, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. First thing I want to say about this passage tonight is how it lets us know that God really understands us. He understands our trials and triumphs, successes and failures. It makes me feel that God really gets me, um, knows how I feel and still wants to draw me closer and maybe meet me with breakfast. I just love that image. So picture the scene here. Disciples have been called, some from their fishing, and they'd followed Jesus. They'd seen countless miracles, even performed some. They'd heard the most amazing, profound teaching and then the crucifixion. In Peter's case, I think this was made more difficult by his denial of Jesus on the night of his crucifixion. Then they get glimpses of the resurrected Jesus. He'd been in their midst and breathed the Holy Spirit on them. But this is a complete challenge to their understanding of everything. You know, let's face it, I was thinking about this. The gospel is a challenge to our understanding. And we've had 2,000 years to get used to the idea. It's a big thing. So when seven of the disciples are all together after the crucifixion, before the ascension, before Pentecost, and no one knows quite what to do, Peter says, let's go fishing. And the others all agree and go. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar. Some of you may have uh, be surprised at that, but I'm not. But I've read that when Peter says, I'm going to fish, the original language is more like, well, that's done and over. I'm off fishing. I'm going back to what I do know how to do. They're confused, lost, sad. They want to return to something they know and understand, something they can control and succeed at, except on this night they cannot. We read they went out probably all night and caught nothing, so that went well. They must have been thinking that they don't understand anything now, not even the familiar. Then, as they came close to the shore, there's another encounter with the risen Lord. They don't recognize him at first. The stranger asks about their catch and suggests that they put the net out over the other side of the boat. And an unbelievable abundance came to them, more they could have dreamed of. They were struggling to bring in the catch. And in that surprising abundance, Peter recognizes Jesus. Jesus has broken into the disciples' everyday struggles, bringing blessings of his presence. The risen Lord was cooking breakfast for his embattled, confused disciples. Jesus meets the weary disciples, fishermen who couldn't even catch a fish and encourages them with a massive catch and a barbie on the beach. Don't forget now, he told the fishermen that he would teach them how to fish for men. They thought they knew how to fish for fish. But following failure at fishing, the Lord brings in an abundant catch 
And when they or we go fishing for people to save souls, the lesson for us is to learn to follow the master. He'll direct our efforts and show us where to catch, cast our nets to bring in an abundance. Now, my first point for tonight. Yep, Jesus meets us in our everyday, even when we're fishing. Not sure if mix here, but even when you're fishing. Jesus understands our confusion and pain. And in the midst of all that, will meet us and sometimes make us breakfast. Perhaps not literally, but metaphorically. He meets us in the midst of our real lives. I'm not saying that in this life, all of our confusion and pain will be removed. Sadly, the Bible doesn't tell us that. And Jesus in this passage gives Peter some really bad news about his future. But he does promise to be with us through it. To be a light to our feet as we walk in dark places. Sometimes I think we feel the Lord only meets us at special points when everything's great. When we're getting everything right, the big conference or the festival, you know. But Jesus meets his disciples like he meets us in the midst of our messy lives, in our confusion and struggles. He brings sustenance and care and comfort. He did in this passage and he does now. Let's just consider for a second another passage when Jesus turns up when the disciples least expect it. In Matthew 14, it's, it's right after Jesus feeds the 5,000. Uh, he sends the disciples out across the lake and he dismisses the crowd and goes to quietly pray. Uh, now Jesus, as I said earlier, turns up in our everyday sometimes when we least expect it and the disciples certainly didn't expect to see Jesus in the middle of the lake, in the middle of a storm. They are a considerable distance from the land. Some, some translations talk about a couple of miles. And Jesus arrives, walking on the water. Disciples, they don't recognize Jesus and they're terrified. God is moving in their midst, and they don't recognize it. Jesus calls to them, and they recognize his call. The storm is still raging, but Jesus' presence is with them. Now, Peter does an interesting thing here. Peter asks Jesus to command him to come across the water to meet Jesus. He got out of the boat, his eyes fixed on Jesus, as we read the author and perfecter of our faith, and he walks towards him. But then he looks around. He sees the storm. He thinks, as we probably all would and do sometimes, what am I doing? And how do I keep doing it? And at that point, he starts to sink. Jesus pulls him up and they both get into the boat. And as they step into the boat, I suppose for Peter, when the danger's really over, then the wind and the waves calm down. And the disciples confirm again, truly, you're the son of God. So when Jesus is moving in our everyday, we need to recognize him. Jesus calls to them, it is I, don't be afraid. When he calls us, we need to keep our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. And when things get a bit scary, when we're really out of our comfort zone, we need to keep fixing our eyes on Jesus. Another example of God turning up and getting attention at unexpected moments, Moses at the burning bush, Exodus 3 verse 2. Now, bushes burning in the desert, that's not unusual. It happens all the time. You know, they get really dry. They go up in flames. But the bush wasn't being, confused, or wasn't being consumed. And Moses was curious. So he went to investigate. And when the, the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, he called him from the bush. When the Lord had got Moses' attention through an unexpected or unexplained happening, the Lord spoke to him. What was it that made Moses notice question an unexplained thing happening unusual 
So Moses went to investigate. Uh, a lady that we, uh, we knew, Shirley, she used to say that with God, there are no coincidences, just God instances. We should look for God in our everyday. And often we will hear that still small voice calling to us. Sometimes in our busy, stressful lives, it can be really difficult to hear that still small voice. But God is still talking to us. We just have to take time to listen. Okay. Second point tonight. How should we respond to Jesus in our everyday? How in the midst of everyday life we respond to the presence of the almighty Prince of Peace breaking in? If you look back in the passage, uh, particularly verses 7 to 12, they recognized it was the Lord, but only Peter abandoned everything and jumped in, rushing to the Lord. The others carried on the struggle to bring in the sudden abundance of fish without breaking their nets. We've seen this before. Seen the Lord turn a bad night's fishing to abundance in Luke 5 when Jesus called these same disciples. The disciples must recognize a pattern here. They see Jesus working. Perhaps a realization there might be more. Perhaps it's not all over. A calling to more. What does it mean? What will it cost? Before we discuss Peter's response to seeing Jesus and the conversation that followed, let's just think about the others. Those who stayed in the boat to bring in the catch. See, I think they're all pleased to see Jesus. They all want to, to see him, to have breakfast. Who wouldn't want to have breakfast with Jesus? Most of us know what happens next. When they, they do what they're supposed to do. Uh, sorry, what, what are they supposed to do with the world-changing events that happened in their midst? They're confused. But they also know if they jump in, this abundant catch that Jesus just provided, it'll be lost. And perhaps the boats, that's their, their income. The job was not done, so they carried on laboring to bring in the catch. Sometimes we need to do things like that. We need to quietly carry on doing the tasks that we have. But you know, this is hard. And what's really on my heart tonight is for those who feel they're still in the boat, struggling to bring in the catch, still laboring week after week to serve as you feel called while others leap out the boat and rush onto the shore. And what I want to say tonight, if that's how you feel, is that Jesus is calling you still. He sees your struggles. He wants to bring you sustenance, just as he fed the disciples. He wants to come close and share Jesus. You know, Jesus' presence, it brings refreshing and restoration and renewal. And I feel he wants to speak that word tonight. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will bring you rest. Jesus wants to restore us, just as we restored the disciples on the, on the beach after that night of fishing. Just back to uh, Peter's response. Now, I know Peter was uh, impetuous, passionate, a bit headstrong perhaps. I also think he knew there was a conversation he had to have with Jesus, perhaps on his own, how he'd failed him and run away after his big words. When the soldiers came for Jesus in the garden, Peter drew his sword and cut off the soldier's ear. Now, Peter was a fisherman, not necessarily the best with a sword, and I think he was pretty lucky just to cut off an ear. Jesus rebuked him. He fixed the ear. Peter said, He would never deny Jesus, would stand with him to his death. And then he denied him. And he ran away and hid. Peter runs to Jesus because he's delighted to see him. Perhaps because he needs to have a difficult conversation. But also, I think, Peter, I think, recognizes Jesus and his actions. You know, back in Luke 5, verse 8, when Jesus called these same disciples, they've been fishing unsuccessfully all night. Mick knows just how that feels. They met Jesus, who told them to cast their nets on the other side, to fish in a different way, and there was abundance. 
Peter recognized something of Jesus' deity at that moment. He fell to his knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Jesus tells him not to be afraid and tells the disciples that from then on they would fish for people. This was how Jesus called Simon Peter and the others there that night. Peter followed, tried to understand. At the apparent end, he failed and ran away. Perhaps Peter feels his failure rules him out, that it's all over. It's time to go back to the fishing. What we now understand is that when God says something will be, it will be. When Jesus arrives in the same way again, Peter, I think, recognizes this event, remembers the calling, and instead of saying, go away from me, for I'm a sinful man, he, who must know now that he's still a sinful man, as we all are, instead of running from Jesus, runs to him. Whatever our circumstances, once we know Jesus, our response to his presence must be to run, arms outstretched, to our saviour. No more should we cry, go away from me, Lord, for I'm sinful. That, after all, was why Jesus went to the cross. We know what Peter was called to. We also know at this point it looked pretty bleak, but he was still called. Perhaps he just needed reminding, as we all do from time to time. Third point I want to make tonight. That's wrong. Sorry, I'll ignore it. (laughs) I I knew using my phone was a bad idea. Grace does more than forgive. It brings restoration and renewal. It brings challenge and strength. Peter rushes to Jesus to have a difficult conversation. Jesus doesn't condemn or criticize. He shows grace. He does ask Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter's a little hurt. But at each acknowledgement of Peter's love, Jesus demonstrates trust and acceptance. He says, feed my sheep. He's asking Peter take care of his people to help build the church as Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 18 when he changed his name from Simon Peter to Peter and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it as Jesus asked Peter to feed my sheep he's confirming the earlier call on Peter's life to be a foundation of the church after Peter's failure Jesus shows grace and confirms his calling effectively commissioning him as the church leader to bring the gospel of hope and salvation to a broken world. He doesn't say, you're going to lead a megachurch. Check out the pension plan and make sure they get you a great chariot. He says, you're going to lead the church and undertake a massive task and it will be difficult and ultimately you will suffer and die like me. He doesn't promise that everything will be great, that there'll be no opposition, no pain. But he does say, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. My Bible has a title to this section. Jesus reinstates Peter. Now, the title of the passage is a modern edition, and I'm not sure it's quite right. Perhaps Jesus confirms his call to Peter would be better. Peter had made mistakes, had failed in his leadership role, but he was still called. Jesus hadn't rejected him because he had made mistakes. We are not rejected because of our mistakes. We are still called, even if sometimes that might mean a slightly uncomfortable conversation with Jesus. But with Jesus, we will always be met with love and acceptance. Okay, the final point tonight, so not too long to go, guys. I don't think I, yes, are we ready? You see, we've, we've arrived. Marvellous.
Peter had messed up. Perhaps taking on the might of the Roman army on his own in the Garden of Gethsemane was not smart. Making bold claims about commitment and then running to hide, perhaps a lack of faith. Going back to the fishing because he had no idea what to do, perhaps a lack of vision. Was he really ready to lead a church, to be the rock on which Jesus would build his church so strong the gates of hell will not overcome it? You see, it had been me talking to Peter that morning. It might have been a different conversation. I might have said, why did you let your disciples struggle to bring in that catch? What do we say about servant leaders? Hmm. Now then, I'm not sure you're quite ready. The three-year program, maybe a bit too short. We need more time. Perhaps we need one of the others to share the load. Honestly, I'm a bit worried. Church is my plan A for salvation of the world. I don't have a plan B, and you don't seem to be shaping up. Instead, Jesus says, feed my sheep. Our mighty Lord is a God of second and third and fourth and more chances, and we have to take them. Peter's not ready. It's not the finished article. He still has some mistakes to make. You know, don't we all? Jesus says, I will build my church, and you, Peter, will lead it. Let's face it now. No one except Jesus would ever be ready for that. Peter has the Holy Spirit in the heart and he'll learn on the job but he'll struggle and suffer and die because of this. So what about us? What are we called to do? And are we ready? I'm not saying we don't need to learn things, to listen to our leaders. I'm saying that we should not disqualify ourselves because we're not ready, because we're too old or too young or we don't have a theology degree, or, or we haven't done it before, or someone else will do it better. The Bible tells us we are being transformed into Jesus' likeness. Not we're fully transformed. We are all works in progress, and we all have a role to play in growing the kingdom. See, I'm not sure we're ever ready, but we are called in our ordinary, everyday lives to be bringers of hope and peace, bringing light and salvation. We are the carriers of eternal truth. You are a truth bringer, a bringer of grace and hope to a fallen world. No matter how hard or how often we fail, Jesus wants us to keep going. We, the church, are his plan A for this world. I don't see a plan B. Don't disqualify yourself from service in the kingdom because you're not ready or not good enough. Whatever reason you have, we will make mistakes. And we need to show tons of grace to each other. But let's remember, Peter wasn't ready either. And God certainly used him. I'm just going to pray as the, uh, as the guys come back. Father, I want to thank you that uh, you break into our everyday. And I pray, Lord, that you will give us eyes to see and a heart to reach out to the world that you put us into. Show us how, how Father, you want to respond to us. And I thank you for that word tonight. I pray that, that tonight you will bring restoration and refreshing to those who are weary. Renew strength, Father. I pray that we see one another lifted up on wings like eagles. Thank you, Father, that grace does more than forgive, although we need forgiveness. Grace brings restoration and refreshing, commissioning and challenge. Father, thank you that you're a God of second and third and more chances, and I pray that we would grab those chances. Thank you, Father, that despite the fact that we will never be ready, you want to use your children 
and help grow your kingdom. And I pray, Father, that you will make us ready for that in whatever way you want to use us. Let us go out and do it, Lord. Amen.